0: the rock the scores nba podcast my name is joseph Cacharo. and for the first time in i think three weeks i'm joined or rather he's joined by me i'm joined by him we're joined by each other fellow co-host joe wolf on wolf what's up
1: not much man certainly basketball is the thing that's on everybody's minds right now right nothing else important going on in the world the nba
0: pa tabulated 450 votes a lot quicker than nevada can tabulate about 20.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, shit, we're, we're out here recording at midnight, yeah. and uh, these these vote counters in Nevada are just like counting 2,000 ballots and calling it a day at like 6 o'clock, hitting the roulette tables. Yeah. What's going on, man? Uh,
0: also, today I learned that apparently in the States, uh, poll workers are volunteers. They're not paid. What What's going on? I don't know. I mean, I, w- let's not go down the rabbit hole of trying to decipher uh, the way U.S. elections are executed and processed, because we'll, we'll be here for a couple months, as will those Nevada poll workers. but well, why talk about here, the
1: vote that, vote that everybody actually wants to hear about.
0: Yeah. The NBPA, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, has ratified or is about to ratify the, the NBA proposal to start the 2020-2021 season on December 22nd. Camps would open December 1st. The draft, as we know, is already going to be November 18th transaction moratorium should be lifted a few days before November 18th. So we're looking at about a week and a half, probably until there's deals being made. Free agency is going to start right around there. Free agents only have a couple of weeks before reporting to camp. This is officially going to be maybe not the craziest offseason ever because, you know, the, the, the guys who are going to change teams and stuff, probably, you know, it's an underwhelming class, but, and even the draft is underwhelming, but outside of transactions and player movement, it's going to be the craziest off season from the fact that it's the shortest off season ever. And I can run down some dates real quick just to kind of give people an idea of how batshit insane this is going to be. But between Woj and some other reporting earlier this week from I think John Hollinger, maybe Shams Charanya, what we're looking at is, uh, so as I said, December 1st, camps open, three to four preseason games probably per team. December 22nd, the season starts, 72 game season rather than 82 game season. They will be apparently an all-star week, probably in March Uh, The season, the regular season will end in May, mid to late May instead of mid-April. Playoffs will then go from late May to late July with the finals ending no later than July 22nd. The Olympics, which NBA players will be able to take part in if they want, will then start two days later and run from July 24th to August 8th. Don't forget too, there are also final Olympic qualifiers happening in late June while the playoffs are going on. And then the grand plan is after all of that, To start the 2021-2022 season on time in October. So if you're keeping up and keeping count, what that means is for teams that went deep in the bubble, like the Lakers and Heat, obviously, who made the finals. They will play portions of three different seasons, plus potentially Olympic basketball, in the span of a year, 12 to 13 months. Can you fathom how insane that is? And also, and also, before I turn it over to you for your five-minute rant, I say all that, and at the same time, when camps open in a few weeks, the time that will have elapsed between the end of the finals and camps opening will only be about seven weeks. But for eight teams, almost a third of the league, the time elapsed between their last game and the start of camps will be about eight months. Holy hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, 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 That's
1: what's so interesting about this too, right? It's like we have the the rest versus rust argument a lot i mean this is like it playing out on a on a grand scale like you know 9 months off versus for some teams what's going to be you know a little over 2 months uh it's it's pretty wild uh, i don't entirely know what's in store i think it could you know, for all the talk of the weak free agent class and the weak draft and how that could lead to a dull off season, I do think there is a chance here for a frenzied period of player movement. And that might not come to pass, but just given I don't know, I got this cuts both ways, I suppose, right? Like on the one hand, I think there are all these teams that are trying to compete next year. As much as, you know, the Lakers look like a juggernaut in the playoffs, they're not some overwhelming dynastic force that is going to scare teams off from trying to contend for the title. In the Western Conference, you've got basically, you know, pending Oklahoma City, like 15 teams potentially that are going to think with good reason that they have a shot at the playoffs. So I feel like, you know, there are going to be all these teams looking to add, but then I guess they're, you know, by the same token, there aren't going to be that many teams that are looking to subtract. And so does that have a chilling effect on the market? It'll be interesting to see. And then, you know, the the, the fact that the draft maybe isn't all that exciting is gonna lead to draft picks being devalued, which maybe leads to more of them being dealt in packages for impact players. Although if it's a weak draft, then our team's gonna be willing to trade impact players for draft picks. Like there's so much that's up in the air. And that's before you even get into like what next season is even going to look like. Right. And I I think, you know, from the sounds of it, it's just going to operate more or less how the other major sports have operated, you know, baseball and football, where teams are playing in market, uh, you know, maybe not the Raptors, but all the U S teams seemingly are going to be playing in market and there's just going to be rampant testing. And that's how they're going to monitor this thing and try and prevent a a major outbreak. But it's not going to be like in the bubble where you don't have any cases of covid right like guys are going to get it like it's going to be disruptive in some way at some time and you know they got to figure out the travel schedule like our teams can they create maybe these kind of satellite bubbles where a team is essentially doing a west coast road trip and just playing all of their west coast games you know in Los Angeles over the course of two weeks, something like that. Like I imagine that they will sort it out in a way that minimizes travel as much as possible. But yeah, I like, there's still so much to be determined here. Right. And I think the the one detail that we got um, this is courtesy of Shams was that uh, the sides are discussing 17 to 18% escrow of player salaries over the next two years and hoping to get that back down to its normal 10% in 2022-23 and in order to do that they're going to they're, they're setting the cap at you know 109 million which is where it was at last season and then uh essentially doing like 2% annual growth on the salary cap and the luxury tax for the duration of the current CBA
0: that's going to affect you know teams that were lining up for 2021 cap space based on original projections that you know that I feel like th- those teams have enough time to wiggle their way back into that, but that you know that could affect some things and will definitely affect planning. The one thing that you mentioned that I think is interesting was both the possibility for maybe, do they come up with these almost like scheduling bubbles in a way where like if you're going to play the Knicks, for example, you're, you're going to get all your road games against say the Knicks, the Nets, and maybe the Raptors if they're in the New Jersey area or something out of the way in one trip. That seems to be probably what's going to happen. But the other interesting component there is that most likely we're going to be looking at a schedule that includes no interconference play and all intra-conference play. And for the first time really ever, we're going to have a situation where divisions actually matter in the NBA. Not, not in terms of who wins the division or seeding or anything, but because if the schedule uh, ends up the way a lot of people have reported, it's probably going to, you're going to end up playing the four teams in your division potentially eight times each the other 10 teams in your conference four times each, and that's it. So all of a sudden, if you're in a tough division, like, hey, the, the Atlantic pray division. For, pray for
1: the Atlantic division. Right.
0: Th- you know, those are 32 insanely tough games that you're going to have to scrap and clog. And it's like, that, you know, it's almost going to have a baseball-y feel where the strength of your division can really affect your playoff seating, whether you even make the playoffs and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, in addition to it just being this, condensed, truncated, shorter season and a rushed season. And in general, a season of transition, right? Between now and potentially when another superpower may rise in 2021 or something like that. It's also just going to be a very different looking season from a scheduling perspective. And and another thing too, it does sound like there will be fans at least in suites, (laughs) in arenas.
1: Great. Yeah. That's that's the kind of atmosphere we're looking for at these (laughs) games, right?
0: You're not going to hear the... uh, of the crowd or great chance or anything but you'll be able to hear the clinking of wine glasses yes and the, That's and the breaking exactly of I chopsticks. About when i
1: when i think of a playoff basketball game yeah. but time. no it, it's crazy and like i i know you know you and i have talked about this and i i don't imagine anybody cares or feels any sympathy for us <laughs> but like you know we felt pretty burnt out at the end of this incredibly long nBA season and you know it's a short turnaround for us like the thought of starting up the season again so soon is like you know, feels daunting even for me. So, like, you can imagine how that would feel for the players, you know, uh, on top of, like, the shortened and off-season that's going to follow after that, depending <laughs> on whether they play in the Olympics or not. Yeah. Um, it's like there's just no time, like, to come up for air at any point yeah. in, like, the next two years until they get back on their normal schedule. It's just, like...
0: feels daunting for us. Imagine being a professional nba and Olympian.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I... I um, I think it's crazy like obviously you know the NBA felt and the players I guess to a certain extent agreed that this was necessary Uh, I know the league had said reportedly that the difference between starting on December 22nd you know versus starting on January 18th which was when the players I think initially preferred to start was something in the in the range of like 500 million to a billion dollars in revenue and presumably that's you know, primarily TV revenue-based. And, uh, you know, they they have to do everything they can to try and normalize their revenue stream to the point that, uh, you know, they can essentially get back to normal operations where less of player salaries are going into escrow and where the salary cap can start to get back onto the trajectory that it was already on. And I'm sure they'll find certain ways to do that. I mean, maybe gambling money is one of those things, you know, potentially... Uh, as uh, Woj and Zach Lowe reported, there has been talk about uh, doing the play-in format with seeds seven through 10. Uh, and, you know, maybe that tournament can generate some buzz and, and more TV revenue. Like, uh, they'll find, I'm sure, creative ways, but I think...
0: One of those creative ways, apparently, is to sell more hard liquor in uh, in arenas. In those sweeps? I believe so. What Was that not one of the... Uh, I got to confirm this right now while we're doing this live, but not really live.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's certainly one way to go about it, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Woj on November 3rd, the NBA is searching for ways to increase cash flow into teams and sources said the league is hopeful to expand guidelines on sports betting, hard alcohol and casinos.
1: Good Lord.
0: Forget the wine glasses clinking in the, in the suites. You're going to hear snifter glasses with the Henny.
1: Yeah, you think you could identify the the difference between a wine glass and a snifter glass? No, listen, when you're
0: wafting that <laughs> cognac in a snifter glass, it hits different. And uh, the lucky sixteen people in every arena that will be in suites will know will know what I'm talking about during the 2020 2021 NBA season. But look, I I think a significant portion of the amount that the owners were claiming the difference would be between starting in December and January. I think a significant portion of that was definitely posturing. But I also think outside of the top tier of NBA superstars, the players weren't really in a position to take too much time to think about how much of that was posturing. You know, they kind of had to make a decision. And as we've, and other people have talked about ad nauseum over the years in situations like this, it's billionaires versus millionaires, right? They're all rich, but one class obviously has the advantage here and it's the owners and for the guys making $40 million in the league, the players making $40 million, maybe it doesn't matter as much that one month or whatever. Um, you know, I think it, it could have been the difference between what a, a 72 game season and a 50 game season or a 60 game season or something. Maybe if you're making 40 million a year, it doesn't matter as much, but if you're the guy making 2.4 million, it, it doesn't matter. I think at the end of the day, like we talked about so much uh, during even the NBA restart, you know, follow the money when it comes to pro sports leagues, when it comes to most businesses in general, right? Follow the money. And this very hectic short offseason that's going to, as I mentioned, lead to a situation where some players will play parts of three seasons and an Olympics over 12 to 13 months. This is the way for them to recoup the majority of their money or, you know, see the most money they possibly can during this time and to also get back to somewhat normal for the 2021-2022 season and have less of the money go to escrow and also don't forget that 2021-2022 season the NBA has been planning big things for that season that's their 75th anniversary season they do not want that season to be some random outlier and kind of wild card of a season they would like as much as possible for that season to look and feel as normal as possible from a scheduling perspective with some other wrinkles in there which side note it's actually going to be their 76th season i don't know if anyone's actually realized this this coming season is going to be the 75th season but the 76th season Will mark the 75 year anniversary of the start of the league. So just just so everyone's aware, the, the I was gonna the,
1: say maybe they just decided to forget that the 98 99 season happened. Like they just wiped it from their memory.
0: I've been laughing about this every time I see talk of you know the NBA planning these like having these grand ambitions for their 75th anniversary season. It's like okay, cool. The start of that season will be like 75 years to the day or whatever that the NBA launched. But the season itself will be their 76th season. Anyway.
1: Well, I mean, you, you think about how we celebrate birthdays. It's right. kind of the same thing,
0: right? You c- you celebrate your first birthday at the end of your first year and the start of your second year, but then you don't spend the entirety of the year celebrating your
1: first birthday. No, but you spend the entirety of the year telling people that you're one, or maybe <laughs> not. If you, you might not be talking at that point, but true. yeah, you yeah, get the gist. Point. Yeah. Do you, Do you think that LeBron will stay true to his word and sit out the first month of this season?
0: No, but I do think I do think he'll rest a lot. I think he'll rest a lot.
1: Yeah, I would think I, so, too. I, yeah.
0: I think, like, you mentioned the rest versus rust I do think it will be really interesting to see because, like, for the team like the Lakers, they're the defending champs. They know what they've got in their two best players. You know, when the playoffs roll around, they probably don't care as much about seating and they can rest guys. But for maybe some middle-of-the-pack good teams that actually did have, you know, deep bubble runs, they're, they're in a kind of weird middle-ground purgatory because, on one hand, they aren't going to get a lot of rest. But they also won't be in the same position and won't be able to afford, you know, punting many games early, especially in a condensed season, especially if they're in a tough division, say, you know, so it'll be really interesting to see how those teams handle things. And then also, yeah, whether like a team like, I don't know, the Hawks or the Bulls or the Wolves or one of these teams that, you know, they're probably not a playoff team, but also if things break right, there's enough talent there to maybe steal a spot like you know do they take advantage of that early in the season does one of those teams pile up a couple wins against a resting contender and it's going to be fascinating
1: yeah i mean the more we talk about this the more i think this division thing has the potential to be really really imbalanced man like oh uh, potential. we we mentioned the atlantic division but holy crap the pacific division lakers yeah. clippers warriors suns yeah. kings warriors man like kings kings whatever. good good god yeah i mean no, but I like okay, the, the Kings are like not great, but they're not they're not tanking. You know what I mean? Like they no. that's a team that won, you know, over thirty games last year, like they'll be semi competent, but like they have to play, you yeah. know, thirty two intra division games. Like there goes, they might go two and thirty in those yeah. games.
0: There, there goes them probably and the Suns' chances of ending their playoff trucks. <laughs>
1: yeah. For real. Well, we'll see what the Suns do this offseason. I think they, they have a chance to actually like put themselves in like right in the thick of that mix I think with the yeah. right moves they it,
0: might be able to go 10 and 22 in the division
1: <laughs> but yeah I no I, I think that's a that's a really good point I don't know that you know as much as a lot of these players given the short turnaround are, are are probably going to be looking to rest as much as possible or at least their teams will be looking to rest them as much as possible with the condensed schedule and and the way things might pan out in terms of how imbalanced those schedules are, it's going to be tough to sneak that rest in. Um, So, yeah, we, you know, we can't, I don't think, pass any kind of judgment on this until we see the full scope of it, the details, you know, both how the schedule is going to work uh, and what the health and safety protocols are going to be all that is just totally up in the air and and that's still being negotiated as I understand it between the players and the league so we'll obviously get that information in the coming days and have a clearer picture of how all this is going to work
0: what's up pound the rock listeners just a friendly reminder to rate review and subscribe to pound the rock on itunes soundcloud stitcher spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts you can also check out the scores other sports podcasts for major league baseball there's expand the zone for soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper, Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL, and the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show. Alright, I think we've ranted and rambled enough about the, the crazy four to five weeks ahead of us leading into training camp. We will obviously have plenty more to say about it over the next four or five weeks, but there are some things happening around the association unrelated to just the off-season and the restart and the new season. And the first one of those I wanted to talk about that happened um, in this two- to three-week period where we were not together was Daryl Morey taking over the Philadelphia 76ers. Elton Brand being extended for some reason. Phoenix Suns getting back together on
1: the Brooklyn Nets coaching staff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The seven seconds or less Suns now threatening the the Nets starting lineup for scrimmage supremacy. But yeah, I mean, you have any thoughts on, on the Maury Sixers thing?
1: Yeah. It's crazy how long it's been since we've uh, spoken. Like that. Well, not that we've spoken, but like spoken on the podcast that we haven't even gotten a chance to hit on this yet. Like we're pretty badly out of date here, yeah. but- I think it's awesome for Philly. Like they couldn't have asked for a better hire. And I, I'm just super fascinated to see what Daryl Morey makes of this roster because it really is such a different situation, you know, from what, from what he wound up with, I guess, in Houston, you know, maybe it's not so, so different from what he initially inherited there, but uh, I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what he can make of it and, and, I think there's this interesting, like, you know, reactionary thing that happened where uh, some people obviously speculated about whether he would immediately look to just break up the simmons Embiid thing. Obviously, a report came out that they were going to pursue James Harden, which, of course, why wouldn't they oh, pursue James yeah. Harden? <laughs> but I think, you know, you saw this kind of like knee-jerk I wouldn't exactly call it a straw man because there were people I saw like throwing Joel Embiid trade scenarios out there immediately after this hire was announced. But like I saw more people, I think, reacting to that and saying like, relax, relax, Daryl Morey is not going to break this up. And I, I actually don't think that he will right away. But I do think, you know, somewhere down the road that might have to happen if for no other reason. And we've talked about this before, but I just don't know how many other moves there are to make with this roster like they've remade the roster around those two guys so many times already as young as they are and the situation they're in right now like it's just going to be so hard to move those Horford and Harris contracts and with what else they have as far as you know trade packages that they could put together like I guess Josh Richardson is like, you know, a a pretty intriguing trade piece. I I thought he had a disappointing year. Like I I really like, I still like him as a player, but I, I thought he was fairly disappointing this year. And like his salary isn't one that you could use as a placeholder in a deal for like a superstar. And so that gets really tough. And like, I don't know if they're willing to part with Fibel. It's just, there's not a ton of maneuverability. Like the one thing is they do have all their own draft picks. And if there's one thing Daryl Morey loves to do, <laughs> it's trade first round picks for present day help when he thinks he has a chance to compete for a championship. And, you know, by the time you left Houston, do you know how many first round picks there were on that team that were made by the Rockets? Zero. Correct. Zero. Not one. Um, so... I don't know if he's going to take a similar approach. I think maybe he can afford to take a bit of a longer view because Simmons and Embiid are still quite young. But, you know, this is the guy who once offered to trade four first-rounders for Jimmy Butler. I think that we may see him get pretty aggressive in that regard if he sees that what he has isn't working. And I also think, you know, one thing... Better better
0: four first-rounders for Jimmy Butler than for Russell Westbrook, I'll tell you that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. Man. But, yeah, no, I think, you know, one thing... It, I I almost feel like the, the differences between James Harden and Joel Embiid as like franchise players are like a little bit overstated. I actually think if you can get past the dramatic differences in form, in function, there are actually like a lot of similarities there. Um, and in both cases, I think they are, you know, offensive players with the ability to completely warp a defense. And they're both offensive players that like to play one-on-one a whole heck of a lot and so you know Harden's mode of doing that is to isolate and that oftentimes just leads to him dribbling in place and then shooting step-back threes and with Embiid obviously it's playing out of the post but like if you compare the two and obviously you know the the book on Maury is that he cares about the numbers and efficiency. And like, how can you squeeze the most out of the players that you have a James Harden isolation? If you include passes that went directly to shooters, was worth 1.09 points per possession last year. And a Joel Embiid post up was worth 1.13 points per possession. So in terms of kind of like building out efficient offenses around those guys, there are differences because James Harden is an incredible ball handler and passer and He can set the table for guys in a way that Embiid can't, but I think there can be a sort of similar process there uh, in terms of how you conceive of the roster around a star.
0: Yeah, look, I think obviously the 76ers are in a better position now than they were weeks ago. They are in a much better position with Daryl Morey running the show and Doc Rivers running the team than they were with Elton Brand running the show and Brett Brown running the team. No question to me. Um, again, the, the brand extension, I don't really understand other than it seems like people around the league like them and relationships do matter. So whatever. But the fact that the brain trust is better now than it was a month ago doesn't change what you already mentioned. And that's that the um, the position is the same. They're still left with very few assets left to dangle. They're left with um, few moves left to make if they don't want to break up the Simmons and B duo. Daryl is as creative an executive and a deal maker as we've seen, you know, in our generation of NBA fandom, but he also can't materialize things that aren't there out of thin air. You know, he can't make Al Horford a more tradable player. He can't, you know what I mean? So while I think they're obviously in a better position, they're still as stuck from an asset standpoint as they were a month ago. And I think Daryl Morey values stars above all else. That's why he made all the moves he made. That's why the Rockets ended up in a situation where they had none of their own draft picks playing on their team. But while I think right now everyone's saying the right things, you know, Morey values stars. And so he's happy to have these two young cornerstone stars. I don't know, man. I'm still just not convinced it's going to last very long like even even doc rivers as a coach doc rivers is a player's coach but doc rivers doesn't do well with lazy players and (laughs) both those guys have a bit of a reputation is all i'll say and let's not go down this path again because i know we have some differing opinions here but i'm just saying i don't think in simmons case especially Mm. that he is long for philly in a Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers environment.
1: I think, you know, people say that, look, Daryl Morey is just obsessed with getting stars. Like he's not going to turn around and trade them. Like I actually, I think Embiid fits into that category. I don't think Simmons has come close yet to rising to the level where he is the kind of like foundational franchise star that you just do not trade. Agreed. Like you go out looking for guys like Ben Simmons, you don't trade Ben Simmons. He is not at that level. And like, He has a ton of potential still, like his defense is unbelievable, like legit five position defender who is obviously an incredibly gifted playmaker, especially in the open court. And despite the fact that he doesn't necessarily shoot the kind of shots that, you know, maybe a prototypical Daryl Morey player would like, he doesn't get to the free throw line as much as you would think. For a guy, you know, who has the ball in his hands as much as he does, with his size and and his physicality and athleticism, um, obviously doesn't shoot any threes, doesn't shoot jump shots. Period. Basically, uh, and gets to the rim a decent amount, but like not an overwhelming amount. Uh, but he but he's capable of creating those shots. He creates a ton of threes for his teammates. Like ton of promise there, and I think in the right situation, he could be, you know, one of the. 10 best players in the league, potentially somewhere down the road. But like, I I just don't think that he has shown that uh, really at any point in his career. And I think, yes, Daryl Morey covets superstars, but I think he's also shown that he's willing to trade secondary stars if he thinks that it will benefit his primary star. And the Sixers' primary star right now is unquestionably Joel Embiid. Um, Yeah. But one thing I'll say, like, you know, whether it's in the short term or the long term, I think, you know, we spent so much time watching Maury build basically one of the best offensive teams of all time and focusing so much on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm interested to see him try and build around two elite defensive talents. And what does that look like? I, I think figuring things out on the offensive side is just, it might be as simple as just like getting a legit point guard, but that is certainly easier said than done given all the things that we've talked about, uh, you know, regarding the, the Sixers trade assets.
0: Well, I think that's a good segue to um, the final kind of short segment we're going to talk about today. And that is that a report came out from Sham Sharanya earlier this week that the Pelicans are openly discussing uh, Drew Holiday in trade talks. The Sixers, you know, we just went over how tough it will be for them to cobble the assets together to make a big splash, but the Sixers are a team that would undoubtedly at least be interested in calling about Drew Holiday. The Nuggets were mentioned as a team for Drew. Is there a place you have in mind that you'd like to see him land? Do you have a you know most likely landing spot? I think we're in agreement that whatever happens, we both want Drew Holiday to land on a contender and play some meaningful ball because he's a great guy. Like one of the NBA's great humanitarians, but also, you know, at his best, still a great player, a great two-way guard. And I think in in a system where you know, he doesn't have to be relied upon maybe as much on the offensive end and he can just kind of be a bit of a floor manager offensively, do his thing defensively, kind of maybe slot in as like a number three guy, whether it's on a team like Philly or whatever. I think it would be a perfect role for him. And, you know, the guy deserves a chance to contend sooner or later.
1: Yeah. Honestly, all I've been thinking about since I heard that the Pelicans were listening is Warriors. Like, wow, number two pick, Wiggins, done deal. And Didn't I think the Pelicans want Andrew Wiggins, though. No, I don't, but I think they would absolutely <laughs> want the number two pick in the draft. I mean, they're building around a, a you know, a 23 year old in Brandon Ingram and a 20 year old in Zion Williamson. Drew Holiday is 30. He's potentially a year away from free agency, and this is where it gets tricky for Golden State, right? I don't think they do this without some assurance that either Holiday is gonna pick up his option for 2021, 22. Or he's open to signing an extension. But if those things are true, like if if they think that he'll pick up that option and they can have him for two years rather than one, or if they think that he's willing to extend, I think that just makes a whole lot of sense to me, man. And, and I don't know, maybe in in most other years, like the number two pick would probably be too valuable to give up for a 30-year-old fringe all-star. But I think given the you know with this draft class and the Warriors specific situation, where they've got three Hall of Famers who are like at the tail end of their primes. Steph's going to turn thirty three next year. Draymond and Claire are going to turn thirty one. You have this window. You have this draft pick that's valuable, but it's a weak draft class, and you can still hang on to that Minnesota pick for next year. Which even if it doesn't people, wind people up, people forget don't for
0: about you. that Minnesota pick. Everyone talks about the number two pick this year, and they forget that they've got the Timberwolves pick next year.
1: Which, like, I've heard people saying, like, just based on how much deeper next year's class is supposed to be, like, even if that pick winds up at, like, seven or eight, I've heard people say that that could be a more valuable pick than number two in this draft, which, I I mean, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I believe it, but, like, the fact is they have that pick. They'll have another crack potentially at getting, you know, a bridge player, and in the meantime... (sighs) Like my philosophy on this stuff has always been if you're a good team and like the draft picks are tantalizing and like the prospect of extending your window of contention by like nailing a draft pick and getting a superstar who can, you know, essentially do for your championship window, what Kawhi Leonard did for the Spurs. That's very enticing. But for me, like I'm taking the known quantity every time, like the draft is just like it's more art than science and like art is like like uh, like maybe even overselling it like it's random in a lot of ways like I I don't want to devalue the work that goes into it like the immense amount of scouting that happens like so much goes into the decisions that these teams make it's not like completely random it's not luck it's not a total crapshoot but like I don't know like look at what the number two pick in the draft has produced over the last few years like they, you know, you could be sitting there with Alonzo Ball, who's, hey, Lonzo's a nice player, but if I'm Golden State, I would rather have two years of true holiday than pick up somebody in the draft, you know, who's a caliber of Alonzo Ball. Like, I, yeah. that's not doing enough for you in the present, and it's not doing enough for you in the long term. And I think if you Or know- literally
0: the quality of LaMelo Ball. Yeah.
1: If, yeah. So like, if you know, if you know that you can get a player of True Holiday's caliber, even though he's 30 years old and, you know, the contract situation is who knows. Such a great fit, I think, because he can play on or off the ball. He can run the offense when Steph is on the bench, but he can also play alongside Steph and perfect defensive fit, right? A guy who can kind of cover for some of Steph's deficiencies and also ease the load on Klay Thompson, right? who's going to be just like getting thrown back into the fire after 18 months on the shelf. Like, I don't know if he's going to be ready to be tackling the toughest perimeter defensive assignments every night. And so I think, you know, if you're looking at what the Warriors sort of trade options are with that number two pick, if they were looking to get a backcourt player, like I've mentioned before, I think maybe they could target a big man, they could target a wing potentially. But I think, you know, if they were going to get a backcourt guy, maybe people would say Bradley Beal. I think, you know, if that, that would take probably... For starters, the number two pick and the Minnesota pick. Yeah, he's younger. On balance, I guess you could probably say that he's better than Holiday. But I think I I I like
0: vastly. I I think the gap is big.
1: I think the gap is so stark between them defensively that it erases almost the entirety of the offensive gap at this point. But like Beal's three years younger, so maybe that changes the equation. But like. And I don't want to compare him to D'Angelo Russell, but like, I think we saw, even though it was only like five games that they played together, how challenging it can be to play like a small-ish backcourt with two guys who are poor defenders. And they would have to work around that challenge with, with Steph and Beal, and they wouldn't have that issue with Steph and Holiday. Like, I think it would actually be a really nice fit.
0: Uh, the one thing I'll say there is that I think Beal's defense might have been overrated at points early in his career, but I also think his defense waned as his his offensive burden became greater, right? Like the last couple of years, his defense really kind of fell off a cliff and he, he carried an insane load offensively and managed to score efficiently despite doing that. And I do wonder how much of his defense he might be able to recapture if he is on a team you know, or a backcourt with Steph Curry or another team where he can share the offensive load. Now, I'm not saying he's going to become an all-defensive guard or anything like that. Like I said, I do think even at his best, his defense was a little overrated, but I think he's a much better defender in the right situation than we've seen from him the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I have to see it before I believe it because it it has been like... It's been like three seasons now of him being a poor defender. So if that... Even an average defensive player is still in there somewhere. And yes, I do think like having a reduced offensive load would probably help. I just need to see it, I think, before I believe it. But yeah, to get back to Holiday. So I think I think that would make sense. Like that deal would make sense for both teams. I think he'd be awesome on the Nuggets. Like he could do wonders for their point of attack defense. And I think just having, you know, he wouldn't even have to be a secondary creator, right? Like a tertiary creator, basically. Who I think could play really effectively off of Jokic because he moves well without the ball. And I don't know, that package I guess could look something like Gary Harris, I guess, as the kind of big salary that's going back the other way. I don't know. Who else is like a young player on the Nuggets that you'd throw into that deal? Like
0: Porter. And the Nuggets, I think, like yeah. him too much. I think the Nuggets like him too much to
1: Yeah. No, yeah. I don't I don't think I don't think Porter's going on the deal. Yeah. But no. Yeah, like maybe it's it's Gary Harris and Will Barton. Like I was gonna say like enough. Barton or like I
0: don't know, what's Monty Morris's contract?
1: Like I don't know. And one of those um, one of those nuggetsy guys. Another um, thought I had, and you're gonna call me a homer for this one, but rap? no, the other kind of homer. Oh, pacers. Listen, I don't think that that Miles Turner on his own would be enough, but I really think that Miles Turner would be a great I was fit gonna say, in
0: New Orleans. Haven't you been saying for a while, or, or maybe it was off the air in texts with me that you thought Miles Turner would be a, like maybe the best fit alongside Zion?
1: Yeah, I, I proposed um, before the bubble started, I proposed Ingram for Turner. Well, that's and, insane. And, and TJ Warren.
0: Mm, that's not bad, but I, I wouldn't give up Ingram for that package.
1: Yeah. But anyway, it, like Turner's really young. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah i think he's 23 so like basically on the same timeline as ingram and zion and he's just exactly what they need right He's an incredible rim protecting five who doesn't really play like a five at the offensive end because i think at the offensive end you kind of want zion almost to be your five like you want a center who can be a center defensively, but be a floor spacer offensively. I really just think that he gives them exactly what they need, right? Like he can pull opposing bigs out of the paint and just clear the lane for for Zion and Ingram. And like, they can run pick and roll on one side of the floor with Turner spacing out or like Turner can run pick and pop with Zion in the dunker spot. Like there's all kinds of interesting possibilities offensively there. And I think, you know, the biggest issue with Zion right now is like what position does he play like and it's more a defensive concern than anything, right? It doesn't really matter offensively, but I, I just like he can't I don't think he can be a five defensively. Like that that can't be your last line of defense. I, I mean maybe the vertical athleticism can make up for some of the lack of awareness that he shows on the back line and like make up for his lack of height and make him like a viable rim protector. But I really think having a guy like Turner back there would be really beneficial. So maybe there's another piece that the Pacers throw in maybe it's even Aaron Holiday right who's going back along with Turner cuz like he's a solid guard i think with some upside like something like that a framework uh, i think could work pretty well
0: I can't believe you turned our first podcast back together into Pacers talk. I really, I didn't think we were going there. Our first one back together, but no, it is it is an interesting idea. I I don't know where he lands, but like I was saying off the top, I I hope I hope Holiday gets a chance to contend. And I don't know, maybe who knows? Maybe he stays put, and the Pelicans find a way to. Contend in the short term, which I think is about a one percent chance. Um, in terms of the Warriors, the calculation they have to make, and it's obviously a lot easier said than done, is they have to figure out whether the value a guy like Holiday could provide in the next two years, you know, while this window of contention they have is open, would exceed the value that number two pick could provide when you know, I don't know what four or five years down from, the, like in the next era of warriors you know what i mean because and i think the answer is that based on people much more tuned into draft prospects than we are think about this draft class you're probably not like there's no guarantees you're getting star. there's never guarantees obviously but you're probably not getting star quality stuff from a lot of these guys right even at the very top of the draft and so to me unless everyone is way off on this class I think that calculation actually might be easier than it sounds. And I think the calculation is and the, result, and the conclusion is that a guy like Hall, a fringe All star right now probably provides more value given where they are and what they need right now than the number two pick will at his best three, right. four, five years from now.
1: Let's say they are way off about the draft class and there's like two all-NBA guys in here somewhere, you know, future all-NBA caliber players the odds are still against the Warriors ending up with one of those guys, you know, like even picking second overall. And, you know, my thing is, okay, so that guy essentially comes into his own and becomes like a franchise changing player, let's say like three, four years from now, when Steph's going to be like 36 and Draymond's going to be 35 and like, and Clay is going to be 35. You know, what is the value of that player to that iteration of the Warriors? You know, like it's not...
0: That's what I'm saying it, you would need it, him what to be they end like up with
1: is like a run of the mill all star that that's not buoying like a team to championship contention. the only and way and the if,
0: warriors shouldn't trade that pick is if they legitimately think that it's a potential franchise player to your to your point where like four or five years now, when those guys are very clearly out of their prime and they need a legit number one that they think this guy could be that person and I again, based on everything we've read about this draft class, there's not a lot of reason, if any, to believe the number two pick will. Deliver that guy.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? I think the value that Holiday offers now in terms of just championship equity is very likely greater greater than the kind of championship equity that they would be getting, uh, you know, for whatever future years by making that pick for themselves. So that's a trade that I would make if I was Golden State. And I think it's a trade I would make if I was New Orleans, too. Like, I don't think you're doing any better in a deal for Holiday than that. Asset, you know, that chance to draft a third guy to put next to Ingram and Zion and have them grow together for 10 years, potentially, like, I think you have to jump on that opportunity. And the alternative is either holding out and seeing if you can get a better offer, which I don't think that you're going to, or You just decide you're going to keep holiday and try to win, but like they're, they're not winning anything meaningful in the next two years anyway. So I don't know. I I don't know what those teams thinking is like I, so I can't say like whether that deal has any high likelihood of happening or not, but I, I would make it if I was either team. So to me, that's the one, like I can look at that deal and be like, this makes sense for both sides, which is why if you ask me, like, that's probably the most likely one that gets done. Well,
0: the most likely thing that's going to happen for us right now is we're going to wrap this podcast up. But we we do have a well, I was going to say we have a lot of time. We actually don't. We only have like 4 weeks. But <laughs> we have a little bit of time to talk about Drew Holiday and the draft and the Warriors and the Pelicans and what could be a fun off-season over the next 4 weeks literally. That's it. 4 weeks from now training camp school has started. A month and a half from now, basically the season's here. It buckle up strap yourself in it's going to be quite a ride uh, before we wrap i did also want to give a quick shout out to walter and i hope i pronounced that correctly who tweeted at me saying that he is a big fan of ours and pound the rock which i thought was cool that we got some love and support in brazil and we are very appreciative of all our listeners so yeah if any if anyone ever wants to reach out and let us know where they're listening from it's, it's cool to hear from them and we'll try our best to give them a shout out so walter and tunas in brazil for walter for Joe Wolfon, I'm Jessica show Pound the Rock.